May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Everyone, it seems, loves lists, especially the top of anything. You know, the 50 greatest rock and roll songs of all time, or the, the 50 greatest novels, or the, you know, the 20 best movies of all time. Do a Google search on any of these topics, and you'll find all sorts of lists that are out there. Greatest rock and roll song? Cheap Tricks, I Want You to Want Me. I mean, I think that's got to be right up there. Um, no, no? A bunch of Zeppelin fans here? Okay. Um, uh, greatest film? That's a really easy one, isn't it? The Princess Bride? I mean, anything else would be inconceivable. Yeah? Greatest novel? Salinger's uh, the, um, the Catcher in the Rye? Maybe? I don't know. So it, these are my lists, um, and if you don't agree with me, I don't know why you want to be wrong, but uh, you are. And that's the thing, right? When everybody makes their lists, no one agrees. I mean, we all have different tops of, of all these. Uh, I looked up the, the best novels of the 20th century. Uh, Harper Lee's to, catch, uh, to Kill a Mockingbird, right up there. Salinger's, of course, Catcher in the Rye. But also uh, Joyce's Ulysses and, um, and Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby. All the top of somebody's list. And, uh, and if you did your list, you'd probably have to have those there. And that's the thing, right? We have some sort of consensus. We know who the players are. We just don't always agree on what the order is going to be. I mean, you have to have Hemingway up there in The Greatest Novelist. You've got to have Zeppelin on your rock and roll uh, list. You've got to have um, the Going with the Wind and The Wizard of Oz in your, your greatest movies. Even if you don't necessarily like them, you have to agree that they're up there. Right? You, you know, it's, it's that um, the consensus that kind of lives with this controversy. That's what makes making these lists fun. When, we, when you put them together and then you, you compare lists with one another and, and not everybody agrees, and it's a good time. All the way up until someone doesn't realize <laughs> that their particular aesthetic is just that theirs. You know, it's, it's the subjective part of it. And so they demand, no... I must be right. And, and, you know, it takes all the fun out of it, doesn't it? It's a beautiful thing to discover somewhere along the line that from time to time, I know, hold on to your chairs on this one, it's okay to be wrong. You know, that on occasion, we might actually be wrong about something. The difficulty, of course, is to know when we're right about something and when we're wrong. When we're right and where you have, to, you have to take your stand, I am unmovable on this thing. When I'm wrong, you know, I might not have all the facts. I might, uh, I might not be right about this. When we don't know, we usually appeal to the masses, argumentum um, ad populum, you know, the, the voice of the people. What do the people say? And so we'll say things like, Chinese food must be good. A billion people eat every day, right? Or you say something like, nine out of ten Americans agree, this law has to be changed. Oh, well, if everybody agrees except for one of, you know, if I'm in the minority, I must be wrong, right? Or, or three out of four motorcyclists don't wear helmets. Uh, you know, that's not a good re- way to go. You know, you still shouldn't listen to that one. My personal favorite, everybody's doing it. It, it, that's some sort of, of, of argument, some sort of, uh, of an apology for whatever we do. It's probably not a good one. Because you know that there was a time when everyone believed that the earth was flat. Not only 9 out of 10 people, 10 out of 10 people agreed the earth was flat. But they were wrong, right? 
There was a time when most people believed that the sun revolved around the earth. And they were wrong. There was a time in the United States of America when people believed that women should not be allowed to vote. And they were wrong. There are times where we actually have a majority that is wrong about something. They actually believe the wrong thing. Um, there's a, a French playwright, his name was Albert Ganon, and he said, when everyone, against, when everyone in the world is against you, it means you are absolutely wrong. Or you are absolutely right. <laughs> when everyone in the world is against you, it means you are absolutely wrong. Or you are absolutely right. The Apostle Paul, the person we call St. Paul, he was a learned man. He grew up in a city that was famous for its university, Tarsus. He studied theology and philosophy, literature and rhetoric from, from a very young age. As, as, a, as a young boy, he was learning at a very high level. When he entered into the rabbinic ranks, he rose faster than anyone else. He was this sort of star young rabbi. And as he did, he, he discovered somewhere along the way this sect called Christianity. And he wanted to stamp it out. He was so zealous to get rid of Christianity, a, a dangerous heresy in his mind, that he actually began to, um, to get orders to have Christians executed. And one day he, he, had, he had secured some of these warrants. He was riding on a horse from Jerusalem to Damascus to arrest people who were known as Christians, to have them brought to trial and, in his mind, hopefully executed. He wanted to stamp Christianity out of the earth. Now you should know that this person, Paul, who was also called Saul, was not around at the time of Jesus. He did not live in Jerusalem at the time that Jesus uh, lived in, in Galilee and, and in the area. And so he was removed from Jesus himself and only knew Jesus' later followers. He was perhaps at least ten years removed from the crucifixion of Jesus. But he eventually makes his way into Jerusalem and he sees and discovers these people called Christians. And then on this particular day, he was on a, on a horse riding from Jerusalem up to Damascus, as I said, to go arrest and hopefully execute more Christians. But something happened to him that day. Whilst riding on a horse, the Lord Jesus himself appears. He's already been uh, executed, or Jesus was, resurrected, ascended into heaven. But for this instance, he actually appears to Paul. He appears to him and, and, and he calls him to himself. He basically says to Paul, repent, you need to turn around and go a different direction. But he does something else. He calls Paul to be a preacher of the gospel of Christianity, this gospel message. To become, which was once this, uh, this fierce adversary, now becomes the most passionate advocate for Christianity. And he does this. He says, Paul, here is the message I want you to preach. And the Lord Jesus himself gives Paul the message. Understand, Paul didn't go to seminary. He, he did not go and, and pick up any documents written by other people to consult with them. He, he didn't show up and say, hey, teach me what it is that I need to preach because now I believe in Jesus. He received the message that he was to preach around the world directly from the Lord Jesus himself. And that's what he did. He took off and he went town to town, place to place, preaching the gospel. And up sprang all these new churches. 
And out of these churches, new leaders emerged. And, and Christianity began to be growing in Asia Minor and then later in Europe. Paul really began a, a great thing. But something happened. There were some people who followed him around. Wherever Paul went, they were tr- close on his heels. So as soon as he left town, they would come in. They were from Jerusalem. They said they believed in Jesus. And they would tell the people stuff like this. Listen. Paul gave you a sort of watered-down gospel. It's not the real thing. It's, it's just only part of the message. He's trying to make easy converts. He's just trying to suck you in. He's not telling you the whole truth. There's some more to this. Here are some things that you need to learn. You need to learn about circumcision. You need to learn about keeping a kosher table. You need to learn about following the Jewish feast days. These things are just as important. And if you don't do these, you're not being faithful followers of Jesus. Last week, we looked at the beginning of this letter and Paul was telling the Christians, don't be led astray. Don't begin to think that this is right. Don't let somebody else come in and rob you of the true gospel. If they add anything to the message of Jesus Christ, the cross is the only way that God reconciles humans to to God. If, If anybody else tells you any other message, don't believe it. But this week, he's defending himself. Look at with me if you have your bulletin at verse 11, the very, uh, very first verse of the epistle reading in Galatians chapter 1. In verse 11, Paul says, I would have you know, brothers, <laughs> I want you to know this, right? You always kind of, it gets your ears perked up. I want you to know this, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Uh, anthropos, it's not a human gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it as a revelation of Jesus Christ. It'd be real easy for Paul to say, Okay, you want to know about circumcision? I'll teach you all about it. I've been a Jew a long time in my life. I can teach you you all about keeping a kosher table and about how to find Passover on a calendar. But I'm not going to do it. I'm not changing my message. Listen, because it's not my message. That's his argument. I'm not changing the gospel because it's not my gospel. I did not receive it. I didn't get it from any man. Nobody said, here, here's the documents, preach this. Nor was I taught it. I didn't go to seminary to get this. How did I receive it? Through an apocalypsis, a revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself revealed this for me. Uh, To me, rather. He revealed this message to me, and this is the message I preach around the world. And I'm not changing it. Not one little bit. It'd be real easy for Paul to say, yeah, you know, bring in the surgeons, no more cheese on your tacos, you know, here's how you find cheese on your tacos, you... Ask your Jewish friends. Um, No more, uh, you know, we're going to... Here's how you find Passover, you know, counting the moon cycles, that sort of thing. No! I'm not changing a bit of this message because it's not my message. It's the message of Christ. And while it seems a small deal to us, it was a huge deal to Paul. If anybody tells you there is any other way to be reconciled to God other than through the cross of Christ, they are lying to you. They are telling you something that is not the gospel. It is some other message. It is not the message of Christ. If there was another way to be reconciled to God other than through the cross, that's how God would have done it. And if it was our keeping some system of laws, rules, and regulations, oh, by all means, God would have told us. 
So Paul sticks to his message. Even though he is outnumbered, there are people all over the place saying, you're wrong, you're, you, you know, it's, it's a short sell that you're giving us. This isn't the real thing. But Paul sticks his ground. He sticks to it. Now here's the thing I want you to think. Did you ever suppose that Paul got to the point where he said, really? You know, come on! Lord, here I am. I've given you my life. I have said exactly, word for word, what you wanted me to say. And here are all these people following me around, distorting the truth, leading people astray for their own good, their own ends. Do you ever think he said, come on God, you know, help me out. Why am I all alone here doing this? Maybe, maybe even you yourself have thought a time or two. Lord, I thought I was doing exactly what it was you called me to do. <laughs> Why am I facing so much adversity? Here's what I want you to know today. Adversity goes hand in glove with doing the right thing. Anytime you do the right thing, you will face adversity. Anytime that you find that you are doing what it is that God calls you to do, you should expect and depend upon the fact that you are going to face some sort of hardship along the way. I don't know how we come to believe, and I think we do. Somebody told us that following Jesus was all about rainbows and puppy dogs. You know what? It's not. Sometimes following Jesus is about taking a hard road. Sometimes it's about self-denial. Our Lord Himself, rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, right? Despised and not, not esteemed. Every one of the apostles of Jesus, save for St. John, was martyred. St. Paul himself had his head cut off. St. John, the only one who wasn't martyred, was boiled in oil and then cast as an exile on an island by himself. Preaching the gospel, doing what it is God calls us to do, isn't always going to be easy. The entire New Testament is one long story of people who followed Jesus facing one adversity after another. Our faithfulness to God will often bring adversity. And that brings us back to Ganon, right? When everyone is against you, it means that you're absolutely wrong. Or you're absolutely right. Sometimes following the Lord means that everyone will be against you, and it doesn't mean you're wrong. Now, there are times when, you're, when you can be wrong, right? There are times when, when what you think is not correct. There are times when, I know, perish the thought, when what I think is not correct. But when we follow the Lord, sometimes, oftentimes, we'll face adversity. So here's the questions. From whence comes this adversity? Ask yourself, where is this coming from? What's the source of this adversity? Will my faithfulness to God increase this adversity or will it decrease it? And if your, your faithfulness to God increases adversity, stand firm. Get, you know, dig in deeper. Be ready. And ask yourself, how does this adversity bring goodness into my life? How does dealing with this bring goodness into my life? And there's a story of a man who um, he was in his kitchen uh, looking out the window, discovered there was this cocoon right outside of his window. And he looked at it, and he recognized that it was the cocoon of an emperor moth. 
And so the man knows that the story of this emperor moth is one of the most beautiful insects. I mean, it, it, it emerges from the cocoon as this gorgeous butterfly, golden wings, red spots, beautiful. So he goes out and he gets it and he brings it in the house and thinks, you know, I'm going to watch this thing and I want to see it come out of there. And so every day he goes back and he checks it. And, and one day there's this tiny little hole right at the end of the cocoon. And, and so he takes it to the table and he sits there he's going to watch. And sure enough, this little mouth is like cutting away and, and this little head appears and then a couple little legs. And, he, and, and, the, and the guy is thrilled. He's, he's ecstatic. He's about to see this moth emerge. Metamorphosis having taken place, it's going to come out as this beautiful butterfly. But it sticks its head out and begins to wiggle but seems to be caught. And so he watches for a longest time and he realizes it's, it's struggling. It can't get out. It's, it's caught in this thing. And, and so he watches and watches and watches. After a while, he can't take it any longer. So he says to himself, I know what I'll do. I'll get a, pair, a small pair of scissors and I'll cut the hole open a little bit more and help him out. So he does. He a small pair of scissors and he cuts open the hole. And sure enough, the, the moth's just breaking free rather quickly and he comes out. Only it doesn't come out beautiful. His body is grotesque and swollen. Its wings are tiny and little and ugly and hideous looking and and so the guy thinks to himself, well, apparently the metamorphosis takes a few more days, you know. <laughs> Puts it in, a, in a, an aquarium, waits, but it never changes. He has a friend who works at the university. He asked him, you know, so what happened? And the guy said, well, tell me what, what you did. And he told him about cutting the hole open. And he said, oh. You see, that's the problem. See, the moth needs that tiny hole. It see, squeezes through that hole. It actually pushes the fluid out of his body and into his wings. By helping him, you harmed him forever. It's the adversity that makes him beautiful. And it's adversity that makes us beautiful as well, inside as well as out. Adversity can do things for us that comfort and ease never can. Don't ever forget that. And remember, Sometimes, when the whole world is against you, it might just be because you're right. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.